What's Better Today? And welcome to the Leadership Advantage podcast by Dr. John Kenworthy. The Leadership Advantage isn't some magic pill or silver bullet to instant success as a leader. I'm sharing the art and neuroscience of hacking expert leadership to unstuck your potential in life and work. Recently, I spent a few days being completely cared for. I was allowed to do nothing for myself. Forced to lay in an uncomfortable bed, unable to get out, being tied in by neck and arms to machines and tubes. With more tubes coming out of my body. And all the time I was intensely aware of every single passing second. Every beep and gurgle, every waft of air and the alarms. Oh, the alarms. My senses were hyper alert in an environment that had simply too many parts clamouring for attention. Yes, I was in hospital. At least this time it had been a choice. Now I don't tell you this to garner your sympathies. All that should matter to anyone is that I am now out and recovering very well. Thank you. No, it's because I relearned some incredibly basic ideas about leading ourselves and leading others. Why we hate to be trapped in a bed or any environment and how our stress is made extreme by the more basic and fundamental perceived threats to our life. My experiences past week in hospital will be little different to anyone in intensive care or high dependency. If I've just emerged from a traumatic experience, shock is the most useful term here. Shock to have come through, shock that things worked well, didn't work so well, and shock of the discovery of each new tether to the bed. With each tube, you have lost a little more personal control. And then there's the monitors. Those glorious machines who flash and hum and beep and shriek. And of course, your readings are above and behind you, out of eye line. Noise emerges and you have no clue what it means. It just sounds alarming. You try to look around and make no sense of anything except red or yellow flashing lights. All you can see are the machines of others in the room. Of course, if you are in a private room, you may have the benefit of less clamour. But then you won't have much company either. Seeing others are like you makes it just a little more tolerable. The gentleman opposite spent the night going through a traumatic and frightening instability at exactly the same time as I did. I can hear my alarm feel my heart thumping, fluttering and pounding whilst watching his very, very frightening numbers and his wretched face peering back at mine in the terror of the moment. The nursing staff, whilst not completely blasé, really behave as if this were perfectly normal. Which for them it is. They see this day after day after day. But I... I am seeing it for the first time. There's me looking at a guy whose heart might explode in front of me. And honestly, I had no clue that your heart 
could clock that sort of rate and pressure and not explode. I'm not just not asleep. I am so awake that every fibre of my being is screaming at me. The nurses tell me that it is better to allow yourself to become less sensitive, less worried. That my own stress is making it far worse. Of course, I know that this is true. That I am also in the middle of a panic attack, let alone atrial fibrillation. But I cannot turn off any of my alertness. Oh, the blessed relief of sleep. But it never comes. I finally dropped back into sinus rhythm at 8.30 the next morning. The choice of drugs had at last done their job, and I knew that recovery was somewhat more certain, and a glimmer of hope began to emerge. I might actually make it out of here. Those of you who have been where I was know exactly what I'm talking about, as I learned from my fellow inmates, while some are more sanguine, having been through it before, the feelings and responses are essentially the same. You can tell on the faces of those who have just one single tube removed. Prior to this, they were as miserable and sickly as everyone else. Suddenly, their whole countenance lifts. Immediately, they look better. And so long as it was a good decision to remove that tube they remain a tiny bit more hopeful. Each tube is a victory of self-control, one tiny element where your mind begins to believe that there will come a day soon when you will once again be able to control when and how you go to the toilet. Yes, the poo in the title was poo and not the whinny version. When it comes down to the feeling of being in control. There is little more dignity lost than when you cannot pass motion yourself, in private, comfortably in private. Cleaning yourself up and emerging refreshed, renewed and ready for another day. Peeing or passing urine, as they insist on calling it, is less undignifying, at least for guys and compared to using a catheter, is an enormous leap forward in being in control. On day five, I was finally allowed to sit up out of bed on a chair. A lot of commotion and moving containers and tubing, but the bliss of being able to sit and not lie, briefly standing in between. And I took this newfound freedom to realise a much-needed release. I swallowed the last tiny shred of my dignity and finally admitted that I was not in control of anything in my life now, that I was totally in the hands of professional staff and I asked for a commode. After several attempts and with some suitable medical enticements, eventually the task accomplished and I chalked up another victory on my walk back to self-efficacy. And it caused me to reflect on organisational life. How often my clients complain that they are constrained and held back. Their bosses scared to lose any control, micromanaging every decision. Some get broken by the system, surrender to the inevitable and lead miserable, unfulfilled lives from paycheck to 
the paycheck. Others break free one tether at a time and their faces are filled with hope and possibility. Sure, it gets frustrating because there's always one last tether in place, but that feeling of having some control over your own life is a powerful motivational force. It is hardly surprising that prisons use the strategies to take away self-efficacy in order to break the will and ensure compliance. But why do organisations and their leaders fear that they should adopt similar practices? If you want a group of compliant workers doing just what they're told, no more and no less, then by all means tie them to their metaphysical beds, rig them up to monitoring devices and remove as much of their human dignity as possible. Keep it up for long enough and they will forget how to be independent and accept whatever you tell them to be true is, of course, true. Within an hour of that wonderful moment, Two more tubes were removed and the promise of G-Ward held out for the morrow, which was, of course, hospital time for a couple of days. On my last day in HTU, I was freed from another tube and monitor and even managed to eat something of the porridge that someone insisted on ordering for me. I don't recall at any time actually requesting rice porridge and can't ever imagine that I would. Others who would willingly have consumed this were forced to stuff down stuff that I would was beginning to hanker for, a slice of bread. Not that my appetite was all that great. It was coming back in line with the more I felt that I was in control, that I now held the possibility of making a decision and choosing to follow it through for myself, not to have to await someone else. However professional they may be, I just wanted to do something for myself. I needed to take back control of my own life. Once free of the tethers, I was allowed to shower. I had, so far, avoided contact with mirrors, but now I stared at my reflection and decided that I looked way too beaten up and sickly and that a shave was really in order. Not easy with the central line still plugged into my neck, but at least I could begin to look a little better, feel a little fresher, and clean the remnants of what smelled like a dead rat from my mouth. Slowly but surely, with each recovered aspect of self-efficacy, I began to feel happier, more hopeful and better. The next step in the process is to relearn how to walk and start rebuilding strength. Bearing in mind from that second day, we've been relearning how to breathe and cough with assurances that practice and dedication will bring fastest return. The physiotherapists helped me get to a point where I'm allowed to walk unaided around the ward. Now is the most dangerous time. The operating theatre and ICU, HDU area are all controlled environments, or at least much more so than the general ward. Now is the time to be most watchful of complications. A tiny microbe can set you back weeks or months. So regaining your strength and cleanliness is essential. And above all, pray for protection.
Choosing to take charge of your recovery from a setback is critical to that recovery. There were a few in the ward who, whilst capable of walking and rebuilding their strength, were either too scared to do so or simply unmotivated. Sitting on their beds waiting for someone else to cajole them into exercise. Some remained for months and essentially give up their independence and allow others to take care of them from now on until, well, whenever. They made it beyond forced compliance and yet hankered for it. Those who do get up and walk, rebuild their strength, recover faster and leave sooner. And just as in the organisational ranks, there are those who have to get up and go and those who leave it to everyone else to make decisions and move things along. It's a choice we make, and I know which side I would rather be on. There are those few, those precious few, who desperately want to take charge, but with one complication after another, are forced to stay behind for longer. And the longer they stay, it seems the more likely another complication will arise. After all, you are surrounded by some very sick people. A simple cold could set you back weeks. Their power to recover has been stolen from them, for a time, by a microbe or a virus. Those who continue to have hope and that drive for self-efficacy will beat it and emerge victorious. Others succumb and are weakened physically, and their drive and hope take a knock, and they need someone to reignite that hope and work that drive until they have enough strength of their own again. Be watchful of your friends and colleagues who get weakened by the system. Don't always assume that it's only about choice. There are things going on in everyone's life where they have little or no control and it robs them of their strengths, their hope and their drive. Be a friend and lend them your help, your hope, your drive to allow them to choose again to take control back. It is my hope that you have found this a useful podcast. If you know anyone at your work who looks like they've had their feeling of being in control stolen from them, perhaps it is time for you to reach out and offer your non-judgmental love and attention. And if you know someone who is about to or considering a CABG, a heart bypass, or any other heart surgery, and they would like to talk. I know this is a frightening time for them. Please do put them in direct touch with me. And I thank you for your love and your prayers. I hope that you really enjoyed this episode and will share some highlights with the people you care about most. My team and I are working on a series of exciting new projects in this art and neuroscience of hacking expert leadership to unstuck your true potential in life and work. To learn more, visit leadershipadvantage.com or just search for Dr. John Kenworthy and connect with me.